When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From Variety, celebrating more than 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. It was always my choice how I moved through Hollywood and certainly in the world. And I chose to shapeshift and tap dance and constantly be trying to be whatever Hollywood said I needed to be to, to get a job. And I was willing to do that gleefully because that's how I've lived my whole life. You, you start that assimilation train and you never get off. But every time you're losing pieces, chunks of your soul. And I, there is a point that I got to early 40s, 40 around there, where I just wasn't willing to make that trade. Gabrielle Union turned 50 years old this year and is receiving the best reviews of her career in A24's The Inspection, showing it's never too late to make your mark on Hollywood. I'm Clayton Davis. On this episode of the award-winning Variety Award Circuit podcast, we talk to the recent Gotham and Independent Spirit Award nominee, Gabrielle Union, about her work in Elegance Bratton's debut film, The Inspection. She discusses her advocacy work with LGBTQ rights, what's next for her, and even weighs in on some of the media obsessions, including the quote-unquote slap at last year's Oscar ceremony. Later, we chat with actor Claire Foy about her new film, Women Talking. But first, the roundtable dissects the bombshell news about Bob Iger's return to Disney once again as CEO and how it all came about. It's all next on this edition of the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Hey, everyone. It is Variety TV editor Michael Schneider. And before we begin, I have a big announcement that, uh, well, there's no real way to explain this, but um, we have uh, replaced Clayton Davis with Bob Iger, who is now <laughs> taken over as the fourth voice. Uh, you know, we we really wanted to bring him in. Um, you know, he was great during his first run when he uh, co-anchored the podcast <laughs> with us back in the day. Went off to do other things like running Disney, but now he's back yeah. as the co-anchor. It would still be less shocking than what actually happened this week, <laughs> by the way. Bob and Mike in the morning. Hey, <laughs> everyone. So, no, that is our darling Clayton Davis. He's still here, um, along with Janelle Riley. Good morning. And or afternoon yeah. or evening or it's morning for me. Maybe it's three a.m. <laughs> if someone's listening to it overnight because they they just couldn't wait. Uh, but we've got a guest this week. <gasps> It is. Never seen her before. The one and only Wags. This ain't the take. Whoa! Did you hear that? That was a uh, a large vehicle. <laughs> a large vehicle. Bring it in. We're on the fifth floor, and we heard it up here. 
But that's well, crazy. That that's Elizabeth Wagmeister's ride. <laughs> that was that, my that, entrance, everybody. I would that, never make a light entrance. That was the that was the lemo bringing her in. <laughs> She's like no autographs. They just dropped her right off. I'm here, and I'm sorry not to be Bob Iger, because wouldn't that be something if he was hosting the what podcast if, this week? If, we have so we many have questions. questions. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. How? When? Why? What? Um, but I'm so glad you're joining us this week, Wags, not only because, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm an uber fan of Clay and Wags, mm. you know? is a, a hashtag that has not taken off yet. <laughs> It, I've tried it a few times and it's just not getting the traction I need. I am very excited. This is my first appearance on your podcast. So very excited to be here. And for those who don't know, Mike and I actually go way back, way further back than hashtag Clay and Wags. <laughs> we go back all the way to the TV Guide days. Yeah. Yeah. Back when uh, you were you were still like in elementary school, I think. <laughs> Did you really start as an intern? Was that what it was? I started. I always say I interned for Mike, and then he always tells me that's wrong because I technically just interned for the magazine. But I like to say that Mike was one of my original mentors oh. who helped me get my foot into this business. So he, he got you well, ready for this career early. He was already correcting you. <laughs> no, I, I, I like check, to give him check. I like to give him full credit. And for some reason he doesn't like to take it. But anyway, lots of love for Mike. Aww. And super happy to be here. Aww. Even then they were saying that one day Elizabeth Wagmeister was going to be everyone's boss. Yeah. That's what we were saying. So that hasn't happened. So Wags is here and I'm so glad you are this week of all weeks because you and I we're at the Elton John concert on Sunday night. This is a humble brag. It was an excellent show. But beforehand, we were uh, having some some drinks and some food uh, with some Disney folk. And around 6.45, no. you, you saw everyone start to pick up their phones. And they were like, wait, no, no. This can't, this, this must be a hack. This can't be real. No. And I was talking to one exec and he's like, I think maybe you should make some calls. And, and I looked at him and I said, is Bob Chapek out? And he looked back at me, bit his lip and said, I think you need to make some calls. <laughs> Why? That, that happens a lot that they give us work to do when they're a part of the thing. Yep. That happened at the Oscars last year after the slap mm. and wait i haven't heard about this yeah, happened. something happened at the oscars last year and one of the board of governors said why aren't you writing right now i need to read something <laughs> i was like i'm here with you so meta i was like then tell me something but here's the thing with mike and i have discussed this a few times since <laughs> sunday it really was a surprise for all of the execs yep. like they were finding out as essentially as the news was breaking maybe they heard seconds before minutes before but at elton john mike isn't kidding when he said everyone's phones started blowing up and nobody knew what was happening wait quick question yeah. timeline wise did the memo come first or did someone break it first or was it all like simultaneously it's the fog of war now mm -hmm. right? we don't know okay i do think the memo came first mm -hmm. and i think uh that's what the Disney folks were looking at it first, but because the memo looked a little different, it didn't. Uh, someone was telling me it didn't necessarily say from the desk of Bob Iger. Uh, Ooh, that's so, goofy. So it looked. It looked, <laughs> as the kids say, it looks sus. <laughs> so 
there was like, okay, this is the most insane thing ever. So, and this looks sus. So is this real? But then very quickly things were happening and then news alerts were coming out. And my Disney friends were afraid to believe it was true because they wanted it to be true so badly. But they also, you know, they were sus. Yeah. So, again, I think this is a very rare situation because executives, the highest level executives, the people who will be reporting directly to Bob Iger and reported directly to Bob Chapek knew minutes before. You know, usually a decision like this you would hear maybe a day before, maybe a few days before. But kudos to Mike and his amazing reporting mm-hmm. because after – so the timeline, Sunday night, this news breaks as everyone's arriving to Elton John. The reason why so many Disney execs were there because it's streaming on Disney+. Plus. There was supposed to be some pre-cocktail parties. And I – so I brought my mom and <laughs> we were in the car uh, parking in, at Dodger Stadium, which takes an oh. hour in itself. And – that's when my phone blows up. And and actually, for once, I didn't get it from the Variety News Alert. I actually got it from a source, a Disney source, who had been a source during the Don't Say Gay saga. Mm. Anyway, we'll get back to that because I'm sure we're going to dig into this. But just for the timeline, so Elton John Sunday night, obviously the news breaks. Everybody's reporting on this. And then Monday morning on our call, and Mike and I are chatting I was like, so were the executives there? Were they not there? Because we didn't see many. We saw a few executives, but I think we assumed it would be like a mix and mingle and see them all. And then Mike, this is where I pass pass the mic (laughs) to Mike. Uh, It's in our magazine this week because you got some great scoop and great reporting. You found out where everyone was. Yeah, there were two parties. (laughs) So we were invited to more like the talent and press side of things. So there weren't many execs there. But then there was a good party. Yeah, there there was. But there was the then there was the Elton. Hey, I, you know tent. what? I got to introduce my mom to Angela. Bassett, I mean, sure. So it was yeah. a great party. Yeah. It's amazing. That is, that is it was. Oh, yeah. I, I digress. But yes, it, that night we wanted to be at the executive. Party. I would ha- I would hate having family with me at that moment. By the way, that like because you, you go into work mode. Yes. And then you're like, oh, mom, can you just stay over there? Although I will say we were at the party where Jojo Siwa was dressed up in the Taron Edgerton uh, <laughs> Rocket Man outfit. No, we, we oh, saw I saw it. that, yeah. yeah. Mike and I were standing with each other. We saw her walk by. We saw it before that broke the internet. But we are going on many tangents. So mm-hmm. back to yeah. where everyone was, Mike. Yeah, so so there was a Elton pre-party as well. That's where like the muckety-mucks were. That's where Dana Walden was and all those folks. That's where Kareem Daniel, the head of distribution, was until he looked at his phone and beelined out of there. So uh, let's a moment for Kareem Daniel who didn't get to see the Elton John show oh. because his boss had just been fired. But he, um, Elton's there every week, right? This is a big yeah, deal. Exactly. Elton's going to be touring forever, yeah. right? Oh, wait. Especially Dodger Stadium. Yeah. Every night. Yeah, every night. But- By the way, another tangent. Apparently, I'm the queen of tangents on this podcast. I'll never be invited back. <laughs> Elton John has been on this farewell tour for, for years. 75 years. Yeah. Yes. He's 75 yeah. years old. All said, how was the concert? <laughs> like, was it, it was amazing. Oh, the Elton was amazing. John is, uh, duh, but incredible. And I kept saying to Mike, the stamina that he has, like there were no breaks in between songs. He just he just kept going and going. Yeah. The song was incredible. Now I bring it back to what we're talking you about, think he which knew, is though? why. You think Elton knew? I think Elton like, why is everyone on their phone? I know. Right? Well, but here, to, to, to bring this back to, we're never going to get to Mike's reporting. To bring it back to his reporting, he was so good that all the executives stayed. 
to watch. Well, him. yeah, that's that's the other funny thing is, I mean, if you're like Dana Walden or what have you, and and you're there and you're about to see this historic concert, yeah, you stay. Mm-hmm. So they all did end up staying for the most part, except for like I said, Cream Daniel, and then Bob Chapek obviously uh, was not there. He was supposed to be there, but he had canceled midday. So that's when, you know, in hindsight, that when it the spidey sense should have gone off like uh, mid-afternoon. Suddenly, uh, he, he RSVP'd his regrets. Ooh, you know who feels secure about their job when they just stay and watch Elton? They're just like, yeah, I'm going to stay. <laughs> I feel good. But I, I do think, again, just to drive home the point, I think it's pretty crazy that you see this quite literally happening in front of our eyes that if – Chapek said in the afternoon that he's not going. That means he found out literally hours before the public found out. If Kareem Daniel is there, that means he did not know until it essentially breaks. He did breaks, not. Which, That's, this is which, just which is nobody knew. Like, I mean, what, we messed up like from the Chapek Kareem part. <laughs> no, exactly. Okay, exactly. man. Heads the, up. The, the question of like, you know, Chapek not giving anyone a heads up. Like, oh, hey, by the way. So I'm curious, I'm what, what was anymore. sort of the mood? Was it celebratory or were people concerned or both? At that moment, it was more like, and and it was fun to see people like look at each other, like a, what the mm. f is going on to each other, and that. But it's almost, it was almost like a gleeful, like what's going on. That was so. the vibe I was getting. Yeah. yeah. By the way, just to talk about like just rumor mills, because a few months ago there was just rumor mill that like they were gonna, they wanted to bring Bob Iger back, and everyone was like, he'll never come back. And then when Chapik and got his contract renewed and then they released a statement about it. Then we're like, Oh, okay. So I guess like, I guess he's not coming back, but that seems only by time, not necessarily by a job. How does it always happen that these, these execs, they, they renew their contracts and then they're let go with a sweet, sweet pay. Only, only in this industry can you get paid for getting fired. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. And especially right after they renew, because remember Peter Rice had just renewed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like two and a half years. Yeah. Like it's almost exact same thing. Yeah. So yeah. now we just wait to see who comes back. So who will star in the film version when this is adapted into a movie as Iger and? Can I say not? I mean, I don't want to be you know down on someone who now is out of a major job. I truly think this is the biggest story right now. Clearly, in the industry, I think a month passes. I think everybody forgets about JPEG. I think oh, in yeah. the history of Disney, and when you look at this, I think it's going to be Iger's reign, and people are going to go, "Oh yeah, remember when that that blip, that, that, the blip. that guy? Yeah. It's going to be remember that guy." Like I think that there is little weight in the history of Disney, and I think right now it's a huge story, but I don't think that people really. Remember it other than, oh, that was so crazy. I think you're generous in saying it's a month. I actually give it like a 72 like hour press cycle. You're, you're like after yeah. Thanksgiving. I Conan think, O'Brien think... had the Tonight Show for like a month maybe mm-hmm. at the most before Jay Leno came back. Yeah, it was a Does limited time. It was, it was it was like three months. But really? Yeah, yeah wow. it, wasn't, it wasn't long. It always feels like yeah. it was shorter than that. Yeah. But So yeah. Mike pointed out a tweet to me. Which really says it all. Um, and I agree. It's, you know, something along the lines of this just proves that like nobody really knows exactly what they're doing. And I think this just speaks to the overall landscape right now of our industry. It's changing so rapidly. This isn't to knock anyone. It's just everyone's trying stuff and they don't know what's going to stick, what's going to work. And this just kind of 
proves on a very micro level that really none of these executives totally know exactly what's going to work. You could try something different, but what here's what they didn't know. They knew that it wasn't working. So well, now well, it's time yeah. to I make say, a change. Now that competition is so stiff and razor thin margins like put you ahead, mm-hmm. it comes right after Disney's stock fell to like $90 and, you know, they announced some layoffs. So I think it was just the maybe like 10 years ago it wouldn't have been a big deal, but right now totally was in addition to other problematic things. Yeah. Something else that someone brought up to me that's actually kind of interesting is, uh, you know, next year is the hundredth anniversary of Disney and, you know, a company like Disney, that means everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they love their brand. They love like, you know, it's more important to them than anything. And so you want that hundredth year celebration to go off without a hitch. Yeah. So who do you have running the ship? The guy who's just been bl- like mm. blunder after blunder, who is going to step into something next year and just going to be a mess. And come like June, there's going to be some big scandal or some ridiculous yeah. thing. And Disney's going to have to focus on that. Or do you bring in the guy who you know is going to make sure that this year of celebrations is going to be smooth and it's going to be good. <laughs> so, by, by the way, Strange World had the 100th anniversary intro, uh, the Disney Castle, the first time I seen it. Oh, so that's when I was like, oh, yeah. Is that opening this week? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> that was that was not a segue. Yeah. That was a joke. Oh, yeah, I, was, I was like, yes, it is. And Clayton's a huge fan. We've yeah, I, I, do, I, do, I do really like it. I, I think you bring up a great point, Mike, because that 100th anniversary is a huge deal. And they're going to, obviously, marketing efforts are already starting, as Clayton just said, but they'll have, clearly, they're, they're going to program around that. It's going to be celebratory. And I think Iger clearly knew and knows what he's doing, but also is this... He carries a lot of weight. You know, that name, he is a celebrity in his own right. He has fans in his own right. And also, I think people at Disney really liked him. And with Chapek, yes, this is all about the bottom line. So to Clayton's point, when their stock nosedives, Mm -hmm. that's it. But also, he wasn't someone that was well-liked internally at Disney. I think a lot of employees felt disconnected from him. Uh, we've never seen more press leaks come from Disney during this time. And I think that that speaks for it all. And I think at 100 years, you not only want the public-facing image of Disney to be celebratory, and of course, you want the business to do well, but you want your employees to celebrate that as well. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was like, it's, it's easier to learn the theme park side of the business than it is to learn the other side of the business. And he came from parks. And I think that that's a, that's very steep learning curve. Yeah. And that's why Dole Whips are now $10 <laughs> at Disneyland. I would pay that. Wait, how much is the turkey like? <laughs> it's 35 Best probably. corn dog I've ever had in the world at the Disneyland parks. They're so good. Yeah, so so that uh, that was a, a crazy day, and it's going to continue to be an unfolding story as we figure out what's next. I mean, literally the day after, Kareem Daniel was already out, so Bob Iger is not wasting any time to mix things up, so it shall be interesting as we head into the new year. But uh, in the meantime, there are other things going on in the world, like... Disney movies! <laughs> <laughs> Opening in this theaters, weekend. theaters, yes. Yeah. Strange World opens and Devotion opens this weekend. And technically, Glass, Glass Onion. Onion and Knives Out Mystery. It says Glass Onion at the beginning. I feel like we don't have to say a Knives Out Mystery. I'm standing by it. 
But it's fine. Uh, no, I, I the really, movie's I, so popular. Michael Schneider's seen it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I liked it. I dug it. I'll watch it again. I actually think it's better than the first one. I think I it is. Yeah. I agree too. Yeah. I agree. And I really liked the first one, but I thought this was great. My mom just kept walking in and out of the room when I was watching the first one one time, and I remember the only thing she gleaned from that movie was that girl sure does vomit a lot. <laughs> Yeah. Also needs more Steven Yoon. That was yes. another. Oh yeah, that's always her, obvious. That's her answer for everything. Um, and I saw Devotion finally last week. I went to the premiere, and it's uh very very good. It's a big crowd it's, pleaser. It's yeah. Great score, like yes. amazing score yes. in that movie. And uh, Jonathan Majors, little movie star, just like just he's a leading man. That's and it. Christina Jackson and Glenn Powell. Christina Those Jackson's are, really Christina good. Jackson is fantastic in a role that could just be the wife. Mm-hmm. No disrespect because those are valuable roles too, but what she does with that part well, so much. What she remi- I, and I, I know we're all going to understand me and I, and it's, it's a lazy comparison, but I got serious Anjanu Ellis vibes. Like when I was watching her in it from King Richard, I thought she like really like, it was, it was taking that wife role and making it more than that. And not very many people can. So I thought it was a lazy comparison, but it's actually apt. It actually, it works. And now for the people in the room who don't necessarily know what devotion is about, <laughs> refresh about, our memory. It's the other airplane. Mo- it's the other airplane movie that stars Glenn Powell. Completely different. <laughs> completely different movie. Oh, by the way, I don't know if you saw, but uh, I had a Q&A for Top Gun Maverick and I asked them how many people were seeing the movie for the first time. Over half the audience. Yeah, there are still people out there who haven't seen Top Gun wow. Maverick. Wow. And then I tried that, to get yeah. Jerry Bruckheimer to commit to a third movie, but he was like, oh, you know, Tom's busy. Da, 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 da. In another 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> Tom's in space. That's why. He's that's like, what he did. He sent me he's going to that. Space. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, Devotion's about Jesse Brown. Uh, he was a air, Navy, I'm sorry, Navy pilot. First black. First black Navy pilot. And it was a hero. Yeah, during the Korean War, correct? During the Korean yeah. War. Yeah, no, this looks good, and uh, it looks fun as well. With, it's, a, it's, uh, it's a good crowd pleaser. Yeah. I just recommended to my mom this morning because my nephew's trying to make her go see Wakanda Forever, mm-hmm. and she's confused about that, <laughs> and she can only watch Nope so many times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, I think you'd really like this. Uh, it, it, it's something that if you know TV was still with a good heartbeat, it would play on TNT for the rest of our days. Like it's, it's, be the it's, new it's, Shawshank it's, Redemption? Yeah, be the new Shawshank Redemption, <laughs> that was actually for sure. very good comparison like once you said that i was like i know what type yeah, of movie yeah, this yeah. is it's a dad movie it's a dad movie it is a dad movie but it also appeals to young people too what do you think this does for i have not seen it yet mm-hmm. um i look forward to seeing it but for janelle and clayton who have what do you think this does for jonathan major's career can he get any bigger? I mean, can he get I mean, he any can, bigger? And he's, ab- and he's about to yeah because because to me it feels like He's just on the cusp of like truly blowing up, and yeah. has been for like three or four years. Honestly, yeah. yeah. Like harder they fall was the first time I was like, mm-hmm. oh, he's a lead, like he's a lead actor, mm-hmm. like he's a leading man. And then this again, I'm like, oh, he's he's really stepping into his own. I think he's getting more comfortable with himself, and he's still cool right now, which is a big plus because <laughs> not everyone's cool when they break out. Um, but I think I think he's gonna. I think we're like five years from his first Oscar nomination. Like I think it's coming. Oh, you think like, it's gonna take that long? I, I, I think within five I think years. Within yeah, that, I was like, that three. Like a yeah. Long I mean, listen, time. we'll yeah. see what. I mean, how he should have been nominated for Last Black Man in San Francisco, oh, so he's sure already overdue. That. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, can we talk about Lovecraft Country though? I mean, that was that's TV, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, by the way, director though of Lovecraft Country is now working on Blade. Yes. Yeah. Which I mean, we gotta assume that maybe. Jonathan Majors makes a crossover, right? That's like, one of the things I was like it's, wondering. It's got to yeah. be, right? Gotta, gotta I feel like, well, Jonathan Majors is like the new Josh Brolin, basically. He's going to have his 
be popping just, up everywhere. Yeah. In those. That's a good place to be. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then with that, uh, uh, Glass Onion is going to open in theaters one week run, but we don't know how much money it's going to make. Well, maybe not. I don't know. I mean, it's a good question because everyone knows that eventually they're going to be able to watch it on Netflix. But people are so amped for it. True. Yeah. And, like... and I could see it's, 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 again, such a crowd pleaser, such a fun movie, and, and it's not eight hours long. Mm-hmm. So... Although it is two hours and nineteen minutes, hours, yeah. it's not short. Yeah. Devotion's but... also like two oh five, maybe two ten, something like that. Which which two hours is the new ninety minutes? That's where we are. I guess so. I guess we got to take it. So yeah, yeah, fine. That that's now a short movie is two hours and nineteen minutes. But the big news uh, this week that we have to discuss is the indie spirit nominations that Jeff. did not announce TV. Sorry, Mike. I know. So I'm bored. I'm out. I'm out. They, they didn't even want. <laughs> is that coming later or? Yeah, yeah. December December oh, December thirteenth. That's so weird. Yeah, it was weird. Very very strange yeah um yeah. save the best for last that's what they said <laughs> they said yeah these films whatever but get ready for tv yeah. <laughs> everything everywhere all at once led yeah eight nominations Noise. it's our first year uh with non-gendered acting categories i don't know if i am in favor of this because if you look at supporting that has two women nominated and eight dudes it kind of, no, it's three women and seven dudes. That's why I don't like it. Yeah, it's, I think we should add a non-gendered category, then allow people to more submit. categories. You I mean, say one more category. I think I think you can allow. I think I think if best overall. I mean, more, you know, best non-gendered acting performance is someone who just doesn't identify that way. I think that's fine. But I think once you get, ri- I think we, we're just not equal yet in this industry. It's it's tough because you you, you understand the, the the rationale behind it, and it makes sense. You know, g- gendered categories does feel so old fashioned, and you know why not put everyone together? But you're right. Then you run into that issue. And I know in in talking to all the award shows through the years about this, that that clearly is one of the main concerns. Is that and also you lose. I mean, the, the, there's the monetary part of it too, especially for the big award shows, where if you get rid of gendered categories, then you're suddenly losing a, a slate of nominees, mm-hmm. and they all pay to be at the award yep. show, and those are tickets suddenly that go unpaid. So there's a crass reason why a lot of these shows have kept with the gendered categories, because the more nominees, the more ticket sales, and the more uh, just money that is spent. Period. But let's talk about the shocker that Brendan Fraser and the whale was completely shut out. Yeah, that is a shocker. I so, don't know that I was that shocked yeah. because aren't these nominations determined by committees? They are not by, by committees voters yet. Yeah, but yeah. I I just feel like that's the one you. I mean, I, I didn't expect the whale to show up everywhere, but, but like, Brendan. But Brendan, were. yeah. It's, I mean, considering what got in, and not saying that like these are like bad performances, but. For them to go Regina Hall, which was great. I love her in that movie, but I also feel, also feel like no one saw that movie. And then go for not go for Brendan is just, I was like a little shocked. But in fairness to everyone who knows history, Jake Gyllenhaal missed for, for Brokeback Mountain and was fine. So because it's committees, you can't read too much into it. But the complete shutout of The Whale was pretty shocking. I actually would have been more, I'm more shocked that Hong Chow was shut out because it's also, it's often a lot of critics on these panels who determine the nominees and yeah. they're really going crazy for her in that movie yeah you know who wasn't mark rylance and bones and all 
I was really excited by that. It's my hat. has it's, a huge smile. Oh my, like, right you don't understand how, like, I think I need to come to terms with I think it might be my favorite film of the year. And I feel like I'm not supposed to say that. And I feel like it is. It's so. I, I really I wish there was a camera on you. Right I, 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 genuine I, excitement I, on your face. I wouldn't right recommend now. it to a single person, though, because I don't want that type of flack, because it is intense. Well, let's look at So, best feature uh, goes to Bones and All, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Our Father the Devil, Tar, and Women Talking. Women Talking needed this, needed this. And to point out, it got the Robert Altman Award, which goes to the entire ensemble. When you get the Robert Altman Award, your actors cannot compete in the acting categories. So actually, it's funny, studios don't want to win the Robert That's, Altman I've Award. I've heard a couple of them say that. They kind of get annoyed, yeah. And I've heard a couple of actors who were, I remember, not not that anyone in, involved with this said anything, but I remember the year of Moonlight. Moonlight. When Herschel Ali was yep. clearly the front runner. And Spotlight won, the, won that year, too. So none of the actors got in for that. Wow. And Marriage Story was the same thing. Yeah. So it happens, like, you don't want that award. It's so interesting, because that's also so inside baseball that I'm sure the people... The amount of people who actually know that is probably very few. So in the optics of the actors not being recognized going into Oscar season, mm-hmm. you know, does that matter or does it not? Yeah, but Tar is in a really good place, though. Tar is killing it right now. I'm happy. But I was going to say, speaking of Claire Foy, who is on this episode this week, now we can say she already is a Indie Spirit Award winner since she's part of the Altman uh, ensemble. Oh, yeah. oh that's yeah, right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Who's fa- she's fant- I mean, everyone in Women Talking is fantastic. Yeah, she's my she. Her and Judith Ivy are like my heart choices. They're really good. But- I think what what's interesting is you say you know Tar's in a really good place, and Brent Lang, shout out to Brent, mm-hmm. wrote a great piece this week about Oscar films not doing well at the box office and not resonating well with audiences. Tar was one of them. She said was another. And I think you know this has been this is nothing new, but I think it just goes to show that box office does not equate to quality and what viewers are running towards is not always nominated at the oscars and at the major award shows which probably is one of the reasons why a lot of people aren't watching them well we'll see this year i mean they have a they have like six populist choices like Mm -hmm. big money makers that they can pick and you might see a really good mix or they just go standard stuff. I mean, I, I feel really good that Top Gun's getting in. Like, I feel, and everything everywhere. So I could say that confidently. Woman King, Glass Onion, Avatar, Avatar Black Panther. Mm-hmm. You know, those are a lot. We've had six sequels in history, and we have four this year. Mm-hmm. We're living in a reboot age. Well, on that note, uh, one other thing I wanted to mention about Disney, going back to that real quick, is uh, I did love the piece that uh, I believe it was Matt Donnelly who did f- for us, talking to the adult Disney fans and the the you know the the the, the grown ups who are passionate about the, the the whole genre and the the franchise, and they seem to be over the moon as well. So. Let's give a shout out to the old timey mm. Disney fans, <laughs> the oldsters who still are holding a banner for the Disney brand. Can, can I ask you guys, what's your favorite Disney movie? Probably Up for me. Ever? Really? Yeah. Up? Wait, you answer that so fast. I know. I, I love Up. I, yeah. Are we going like all Disney or all, like all, classic? 100 years of Disney, as long as Mike has been around. Yes. <laughs> he was there opening day. I was there opening day. You think they, un- I, you think they unfreeze Walt Disney? I, I, for gave, I gave the honorary Oscars to Snow White. <laughs> but yeah, I would say Up is up there. Up is a perfect movie. Yeah. 
It is. I, I, I love Up. It's not my favorite Pixar. Uh, but what? Then, uh, what? What do you like on Pixar? What's wrong with you? Oh, I, I, I have a real love for Finding Nemo. And, sure, it's and great, Monsters but it's Inc. not Up. Not I love, I love Up. up. Too. I also love Toy Story 3. Wouldn't it be funny if we got in a violent brawl? I know. Over yeah. <laughs> Wait, but actually, like now that you say Finding Nemo and Up, I like even I can't choose yeah. between those. Yeah. Like, oh, I, my, I my, have different love for both of them, but I love both of those. Yeah, my favorite Disney movie is Lion King. That's actually my answer of all time. Yeah. I will not stand for this Wall E erasure. I do love Oh my Wall-E. God. Thank you for reminding me. I don't love Wall E. Oh. I know. Hot take. I know. It's good. It's good. But that's why, that's why Goodnight Oppie failed because you're here like. Goodnight Oppie failed? I was in space. Oh, you mean the actual mission? Yeah, the, actual, the actual robots. <laughs> Have you guys seen the um, the food delivery like yes, robot? They, yeah. they, I call them Wally. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they remind the me of Wally. Yes, yeah. they, freak, they freak me out. They freak me out, but I call them Wally. Um, I don't know if it's my favorite, but up there is Little Mermaid. Oh, for me. Movie. Oh, that's that's and, that's the one that brought it all back, right? That, that's and it yeah, will, and is coming back again. Yes. I, exactly. I'm excited for that. That's a for whole the live new action. World. Oh, oh. Hot take. If you're underwater, how could Did you get Did anyone not that? notice that dad joke other than me? <laughs> and that wasn't even the right movie, but I wanted to just get an Aladdin in there too. So. Just a quick plug for Something yeah. Wicked This Way Comes, which effed me up as a kid. Oh, yeah. Yes. And I believe it was rated G because it's a Disney movie. And didn't it feature one of the real housewives? Yes. Is, it, is Kyle in it? Or Kim? Uh, Probably well, Kyle. Two. Uh, I think you're right. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. My hot take, my least favorite is Fantasia. I don't like Fantasia. I, I think so, Fantasia is the biggest scam in the world. So Nobody boring. likes Fantasia. It's we so have to pretend no like we do, Fantasia. but we don't. Okay, so growing up, my brother loved Fantasia, and I did not like Fantasia. And mm. I, it's my older brother, so I had to sit through it all oh, the time. Oh, it's creepy. And then they brought so, it back mm. again, Fantasia 2000. I was like, we did this once before. We don't, I don't want to read it. It's not, it's, it's rough. But we're just talking animated films, right? Because my favorite Disney produced movie of all time is Midnight Madness. Ooh. My not, favorite Disney produced movie of all time is Up. I was going to go Angels in the Outfield. I'm all in on Up. <laughs> I love Angels. I don't think I'm prepared. You know, Clayton knows I'm terrible at questions like these. Mm. When I have all these options in my head, I'm not good. So I'll just stick with animated and I'll stick with Little Mermaid. That sounds good. Well, Disney technically owns Searchlight right now. So my current favorite Disney movie is The Menu. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Then my current favorite Disney franchise is The Simpsons. And we'll leave it at that. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Janelle. Thanks, Elizabeth. And thank you, Bob Iger, for joining us. You are welcome. That's how Bob sounds. So, is that like your white guy yeah. voice? Like, Bob. Oh, would yeah. that, sorry sure. to bother you? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> After the break, the inspection star Gabrielle Union. From Los Angeles, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. And we're back. It's the Variety Award Circuit Podcast, and I'm Clayton Davis. A24's The Inspection tells the story of Ellis French, played by Jeremy Pope, a young gay black man rejected by his mother Inez, who was played by none other 
than Gabrielle Union. With few options for his future, Ellis decides to join the Marines, doing whatever it takes to succeed in a system that would cast him aside. Are you in trouble? I need my birth certificate. I need you to help me. I'm going to be a Marine. <laughs> Marines. No you is gayer than two left shoes, and everybody can see it. And more than 50 have been wounded or injured in this attack, including several American servicemen who were on patrol there. This all I have left of the dream I held for you. Real question is, why do you want to be here? I want to be a Marine. That's not good enough. To be a good Marine means to know thyself and seek self-improvement. That means you, give it. I sir! They kicked you out, didn't they? My mom? She won't even talk to me. Most of my friends are dead or in jail. If I die in this uniform, I'm a hero to somebody. Standing proudly next to Jeremy Pope is a career best turn from Gabrielle Union as French's mother, a homophobic prison guard that can't accept him for who he is. She channels a bit of Monique's Oscar-winning turn in Precious, and with the right backing, could be a contender to receive her first Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actress, and it's already off to a great start. Union has no problems being unapologetically herself and not caring what anyone thinks when she stands up for the ones that she loves. In a clearly divided era of culture and politics, Variety asked her to weigh in on some of the controversies that have surrounded Will Smith and Chris Rock, and if they can reconcile following last year's Oscar slap during the telecast. Union has worked with both actors before on separate projects, such as Bad Boys 2 and Top 5. Union is ready to take on the world, and a recent trip to Africa with her family fully transformed her. I recently caught up with Union to talk about the inspection and her take on a wide variety of subjects. We began by talking about how she got involved with Elegance Bratton's film. So Effie and Elegance reached out and they they said, we would love for you to executive produce this film mm-hmm. and read it quickly, in which in you know Hollywood terms can be six months <laughs> yep. or that, that night. For me, it was that night. Uh, I was like, oh, I'm I'm in. This is a winner. I I see it. I feel like I can be additive as yeah. uh, as a producer. Um, yeah, I'm on the bus. Drive it. Let's go. Mm-hmm. And they're like, great, great. Um, we think you should also play the mother. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, what have I ever given off <laughs> that would make you think that I could play that kind of character? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't live that way. I don't have friends who are like this. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't. I'm not familiar uh, with this kind personally, of intimately. personally, <laughs> intimately, you know, uh, and nor do I want to. So mm-hmm. and elegance had a freakish level of confidence in my ability that I did not have in myself. And he was like, it can only be you. And as a, in a as a producer, I was like, oh, actually, I have a list of actresses. <laughs> like, that I, let me prove you wrong. I was going to go out to... Um, but he just he just had so much confidence it was contagious mm-hmm. and i started feeling like if this man who has not been tainted by hollywood mm-hmm. and 
kind of who is who has freed me from a box that I have been in for many many years yeah. sees that I could do something like this that I could do the work necessary to be good at something like this mm-hmm. and I'm also seeking more yeah in every part of my life why not and I just I said okay I I believed him and then I had to figure out a way in and I was like damn it mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to do this but yeah, it was his belief. Yeah. To follow up on that, and I guess maybe it's the industry that trains us to believe a lot of this sometimes, but you are part of what I call an elite group of black performers that I've always known are capable of so much more than what I've seen on screen. And I even go back to – it's very weird to say this about like Whoopi Goldberg, who won an Oscar, second black woman to ever win an Oscar. And I see what happened to her by Hollywood standards afterward. And people say, oh, you know, she went on The View. like, oh, And I say like she like had to go on The View because she wasn't given those roles that we – that, you know, the – I don't want to say a name, but the older white – States people are given in in Hollywood. So did that sense of you saying to yourself, like, I don't know if I could do this. Is that preconditioning of Hollywood saying like, no, you can't do that. You're too pretty to do something like this. (laughs) I wish that was (laughs) something that they factored in. That used to be something that they would say years ago Mm -hmm. that like people that other folks find attractive can't do comedy. They can't do drama. They can't, you can't do anything but be someone's damsel in distress. Mm-hmm. I never had those problems because when you're black, they it's all bets are off. And like what they say about, you know, white yeah. actresses is not, it doesn't apply over here. Yeah. Um, it's more of when you put together lists of who does, who does what, who's good at what, mm-hmm. who has been traditionally commercially successful at what. Um, I'm just not on the, uh, the deeper, more emotional, smaller, budgeted, dramatic lists. I'm just not. Uh, I'm on lists that that are about putting asses in the seats. Mm-hmm. Um, whether the plot makes sense, doesn't make sense. Do you, does, you know, what is called upon for this role? And a lot of times it's, it's just economics. Um, mm-hmm. People recognize I put asses in the seats, but then I make some people uncomfortable. You know, when you live your truth out loud and you're not afraid, mm-hmm. um, my prenup gave me gave me some wings and some fearlessness that I probably wouldn't have had if I was if if I had to completely support me and my family solely on my mm-hmm. on, on what I'm able to bring in, right? So there is a, co- a level of confidence, and I don't give a crap that exists in my life and in my work Mm -hmm. and how I approach work and how I speak to people. Um, I don't use my sing song voice and, and, you know, my eyebrows don't shoot up. I deliver facts in a normal person way. And when you do that, it it makes, it can make people uncomfortable and they feel like they're walking on eggshells or whatever. Um, But for those that have taken, taken the risk, it pays off. I'm a good bet. I'm a good investment. But when it comes to to these kinds of roles, they just don't they just have traditionally not believed that I could do this. So it took somebody that was newer and it took somebody like Effie 
who had been sidelined and and her ideas and her thoughts and and what she knew to be true were decentered even though she's always had the goods it took them coming together and saying no 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 you got this mm-hmm. and we see you not only we see your value as a as a producer but also as talent and that's been a long long mm. long long time coming do you feel I don't want to say exhausted by it, but are you, is there a sigh right now that you have that you've finally gotten to this place that it's, it's your, it's your show now. This is like, it's your own terms, but maybe it was always. Just, it was always my choice, mm-hmm. how I moved through Hollywood and certainly in the world. Mm-hmm. And I chose to shapeshift and tap dance mm-hmm. and constantly be trying to be whatever Hollywood said I needed to be to, to get a job. Mm-hmm. And I was willing to do that gleefully because that's how I've lived my whole life. Yeah. You you start that assimilation train and you never get off. But every time you're losing pieces, chunks of your soul. Yeah. And I there is a point that I got to early 40s, 40 around there, where I just wasn't willing to make that trade. Mm. And some work dried up, you know, but for every door that closed, there's a there's several windows that flew open that um, that led to even bigger things. So no matter who was trying to to slow me down or stop me or marginalize me, mm-hmm. I just had so many people in my corner that were like, you know, she, you know, she's bankable. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, she's like, she's good in every hood. Like, why would you, you know, I get why you might be uncomfortable. But yeah. There's still, it's still, she still makes business sense. So luckily I had enough um, community support and, people who have the ability to greenlight film support mm. enough. Um, but I wasn't always creatively fulfilled or challenged. Yeah. And, and great segue now into this role that you play that is challenging in, in many ways. Um, I said, it reminds me a lot of Monique and Precious, like that, the ugly parts of humanity we see being embodied and on display that we pretend don't exist, but they do. And this is a challenge for you that is a complete departure from your personal life. So how do you settle into that type of person, knowing your own personal feelings about what what and who they are, and then convey that on the screen? I had to make a commitment to not judge her. And in, in through this process, I, I realized that I absolutely judge every character that I've ever played mm-hmm. up until this point, and that judgment was acted out on screen. But that's not doing the work, that's just judging your characters and kind of mimicking who you think they are and what they deserve. And with this, I, I, I knew I, I couldn't do that and be, and feel like I, I did what I was supposed to do not only by the character, but by by my own family and everyone I know that has the ability to be touched and changed and moved by this film. So I was like, shit, I gotta actually work. Um, okay, so it started with, before she was a mother, what did she want? And the more I, I went down the rabbit hole of what did she want? She was a top student. She was She did everything by the book. And I was like, well, this sounds familiar. When she became a teen parent, she doubled down on organized religion. 
or parts of organized religion <laughs> that allow you to feel whole again, but still good and deserving and worthy. Um, and it, it, a lot of it felt very familiar. And I was like, dang it, if, it, if I don't have certain things in common. Because they tell us from the time we're born you have to speak the, you have to speak the queen's english you have to live in these certain areas you have to go to certain schools you have to associate with certain kinds of people you have to basically lose every part of who you are in order to be thought of as good by the people who have the ability to control your life's opportunities and so that's when the assimilation train starts to leave the station and you're either on it and you think you're headed to a destination or you're back at this station like, you know, it's not going to lead anywhere. <laughs> I hopped on it. I had a first class seat. I was like, oh, bet. I was buckled in. I was ready. And so was Inez. And where we differ is that she was willing to barter with her child in order to, to still be thought of as good and worthy and whole and deserving and I bartered with my soul and my scruples and my values, relationships, my upper lip. I didn't smile with my upper lip. It's not like this for years because that was going to be the thing that revealed my blackness. God bless my former self. Um, but in that, I realized all of what I lost in making that gamble, all of the soul sacrifices that I made that added up to me being emotionally empty and lacking. Mm -hmm. And now realizing I will never get that back. Yeah. And it wasn't worth it. Because the train ends at fool's gold. Yeah. Or they keep adding destinations. They, they keep adding stops. Say, no, no, the, the next one. The next one. You get this promotion. You move into this neighborhood. You get your kid into this school. It's at the next stop. And next thing you know, you're dead and you've been at every stop and it, it runs into a brick wall. And you've sacrificed everything that means something to you. And Inez sacrificed her child. But it sucks to know that you have something in common with somebody who would sacrifice their child. It's dark. Mm -hmm. Oh, we're about pick-me-ups here. This is good. This is good. But and what you're saying is sort of like really into what you're discussing because – there is such fundamental difference between your choices as a as human Gabrielle Union and and Elegance's mother, and you're trying not to judge her in the world of which people exist, and especially Black women exist, because there's there is racism, and then there's black woman racism that I just think is different racism than what I've seen and something that a lot of people aren't comfortable talking about in this world, but it's something that that's real. So it's that it seems to be a, a feeling of wanting to be good no matter what the cost, no matter what the cost. And even if you gamble with your child, your version, you know, when you think about black mothers, we will do anything to protect our children and give them the best life possible, right? And generally speaking. Mm. But it starts from the second 
a lot of black children are born, folks are looking at their nail beds, their ears to see how dark they are, to see just how hard of a road they're going to have. Mm-hmm. And that's when that's when it starts. From the second they arrive, you have an idea of how hard of a road they may have. And you're like, okay, if I, if I, okay, they're, they're chocolate. Okay. Then they got to have, they have to have, be the best student or or athlete or combo that we, we have to, I have to do, get them in the right schools. I have to like, you know, how much harder it's going to be. And then if your child identifies as, you know, any part of the LGBTQ community, you know, that the road is going to be harder. And some parents think that their version of love, their expression of love and protection and saving is to reject and abuse, decenter the peace of their children. And, you know, my, my dad, I don't know if you've ever seen the great Santini, one of his favorite movies, he felt seen. Um, he, uh, he was like, you got, you're going to have to be bigger, better, better just to be considered equal. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to hear, that's just what it is. Don't fucking cry about it. Mm-hmm. It's just what it is. Everything is a competition. You either win or you lose. And for some parents, they feel like they got to be the worst you're ever going to see in life to prepare you for the worst that you will experience. But as a parent now, I know that it's that's not my job. My job is to provide a safe haven. The world is going to be the world. And it's your job to educate them, to inform them, to protect them, to love them, to guide them, to make sure that they are are loved and and considerate and have values and manners and and respect. But it's not your job to harm them, to prepare them. And sometimes for a harm that never arrives. Yeah. And you can't take it back. Like you, you, people don't understand what they are bartering with. You're bartering with your child's soul. When you barter with their peace, when you, when you believe that stripping your child of their, hum, of their identity is, is saving their humanity, you have to know, you have to realize if you don't know, that you have stripped your child of their very humanity and stripping them of their identity and forcing your kids into even tinier boxes than the oppressors would put them in. You are damaging them. You are harming them. And you are missing out on the joy and the beauty of, of everything that they could be and everything that they are. And you're the only one that loses. And it, it is Something beyond heartbreaking to watch, but I recognize the importance of why, if I got to feel some darkness for a few months, mm-hmm. have some extra therapy sessions mm-hmm. uh, in order to convey that darkness and that heartbreak accurately, I'll do it in a heartbeat if it means a parent will take their child off the table or recognize that, oh, perhaps they, even no matter their intention, they are a villain in their child's life. Mm-hmm. And that perhaps their version of protection and saving and protecting or whatever 
is not the right route, then I have been I have been very successful. If you're just joining us, this is the Gabrielle Union Show weekdays <laughs> on Variety. Uh, just feel free feel free to stop by anytime. I'm going to try really hard to just <clears throat> not get emotional, but yeah, you said it beautifully. You you nailed it. Uh, just it reminds me of something. Uh, I'm half Puerto Rican, half Black, and on my I always say the way my my Puerto Rican side used to say things to me, and the way my Black side said things to me were very different. And I remember something you said something that triggered it. I remember uh, one of my cousins on my Black side of the family was talking to me about like you know you have to do things harder. You know you have to work twice as hard just to get the same. And they said, but when you win, your win's going to feel better as a win than to someone else who didn't have to work as hard to win. But when you lose, you know, you have to keep working hard. Whereas that person who hasn't really had to do anything loses, they're such worse losers. So Mm. we are better winners and better quote unquote losers in the races than those that are, that it's just handed to. Mm. And that's always like stuck with me of like, okay, so I can't be a sore loser. You always have to just, when you win, feel good about it and be proud. But are you allowed to feel good about it? Uh, As that, black or brown people, are you allowed to enjoy a win? Hmm. Or are we so conditioned to be humble and to downplay our successes as to not make anyone else feel bad about themselves? Because that is, that's, 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 that's to be on the train. You know what I mean? And and think about the people who do celebrate. Remember when Serena Crip walked at the at the mm-hmm. US Open? Mm-hmm. Remember all the think pieces? Like what did that I mean? What is she sending? It reminds me of Sidney Poitier. Like like we have to be black or brown in a box. Like you have to look and that, that's no disrespect to Sydney. He's obviously great, but we have to be this type and it's easier to keep things monolithic and saying all oh, black people are the same and they should act the same. My experience as a, as a Latino growing up in New York is going to be different than a Latino that grows up in LA than a Latino that grows up in Puerto Rico. Like, you know, we thrive on generalizing and stereotyping and yes, like we aren't allowed to win the way we may really feel like we have to. You better keep that shit inside <laughs> until you get home <laughs> and celebrate out loud yeah. in a way that you, you've deserved and earned and, and all of those things. Yeah. You know, you think about corporate America and my friends in corporate America, my friends who are teachers for mm-hmm. Christ's sake, when, when they get a promotion or when they get recognized and the silent celebration that has to happen so they are not seen as, I don't know, it's sad to think of a win as being problematic, right? Yeah. Or when you lose, that you have to lose and be so gracious. Mm-hmm. You're not just allowed, like, I mean, like, you know, you watch these guys are at the Super Bowl or or whatever. I have a lot of sports yeah. matches, but like, you know. Why? Why, why do you have to do <laughs> But it's like, you, you watch these guys, they win and, and or they lose and they, it's their life's work mm. and they are expected to, to be perfectly humble and perfectly docile and perfectly articulate in a time of great anguish and mm-hmm. heartbreak. You're not allowed to be emotional. Yeah. You know what I mean? Imagine who's the who's the black McEnroe? Mm. Where's that? 
who's allowed to, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, we, we even say that in the award spaces too. Like people always <laughs> just to bring it back here. Right. Uh, you know, even people, people love to say like, Oh, they, they, you can't want the Oscar. And my take has always been like, damn right. You should want an Oscar. Like, cause we've all done that speech in the, in the shower before you shouldn't do work to get an Oscar, but it's, the human natural nature to want to be recognized and to get some validation. And that is the yearn for that, whether it's in your professional life or personal life with your family for for you to be seen by your, by your family. I think it is fine. I really wish sometimes I wish we got to a place that we can just let people be. I mean, I want every award speech (laughs) to look like, Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack. Like Park, Pack, Park. Park, Pack, 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 Pack. I want it. I want them all Please to stop look, yelling at us if you're listening yeah, to this like, right now. <laughs> um, I want them all to look like that. Yeah. They were or or anytime Issa Rae or wins Spike anything. Lee when he jumped into Samuel Jackson's arms like a like a baby. Like it was the best moment. You know what I mean? Like, yes, we like, should be that happy. When you when Viola wins and she name checks all of us mm-hmm. to share the moment with all of us. Like it, the moment always has to be bigger than it is. Yeah. And, or, I mean, or, or as big as it is, Yeah, but in a way that is appropriate and acceptable. Mm-hmm. And I, I was waiting for think pieces about how Bruno and Anderson accepted their awards mm-hmm. with all of the, the humility that they should have absent no, I won. We had the best album. It was obvious. Like, I love that. I like, yeah. I love, w- please win out loud. You know what I mean? And lose out loud and show us that you're freaking human. It's okay. That's Gabrielle Union, star and executive producer of The Inspection. From A24, it's now in theaters. First things first, Claire Foy has seen season five of The Crown. The actor who won two Emmy Awards for originating the role of Queen Elizabeth II in the first two seasons of the Netflix series has since seen her role pass on to Olivia Coleman and now Imelda Staunton as the show continues to cover the Queen's later reign. And though Foy's currently in Los Angeles to talk about her new movie Women Talking, she was able to watch a couple of episodes on the plane on the way over as she reveals on the Variety Award Circuit podcast. While The Crown helped make Foy a household name, her latest film is earning the actor serious Oscar buzz. Writer-director Sarah Polly's adaptation of the Miriam Tao's 2018 novel, Women Talking stars an impressive cast that also includes Rooney Mara, Jesse Buckley, and Frances McDormand. The story is set in an isolated religious colony where the women learn that several men in the community have been drugging and raping them for years attributing their injuries to demons. Foy plays Salome, a fiercely protective mother who discovers the truth when she catches one of the men with her young daughter and attacks them. The men leave the community for two days, during which time the women are told that they are to forgive them. Instead, the women gather in the barn to discuss their options. Variety's Janelle Riley recently spoke with Foy about women talking, and of course, The Crown. So we're here to talk about The Crown Season (laughs) 5. 
Um, God, no, we're not. <laughs> you haven't watched yet? Because I watched everything that dropped. No, I watched a couple of episodes on the plane, actually, oh, on the way oh, here. Okay. Yeah. Is that weird or... You probably don't think of yourself as that role because no. other actors have played it. It's really not that weird, actually. Um, and I've met Imelda and I met Olivia. So it didn't, I don't know, it didn't feel yeah. that strange, which it probably should do because it's sort of a bit like living in two different worlds. But um, no, I'm really pleased I actually get to watch it now. I, I think really Olivia told me last year that like, I think it was her, gosh, I hope I'm not lying about the great Olivia Coleman, that she had sort of talked to Imelda and maybe spoken to you too, or just about the handoff. Like you were- No, Olivia phoned me whilst we were still shooting it because I knew that she'd been offered it. And I text her saying, you have to do it. I don't know why. <laughs> I think I was just so, I was so... Like the messaging of yes. Olivia Colman being the older version of a character I played, I just really enjoyed. It was very purely selfish. I was like, I don't care about how it makes you feel, Olivia. Just please, it makes does such good things for my ego. Yeah, right. I just want to grow up to be you. Yeah, which- exactly. And then Imelda. I mean, imagine that. Wouldn't that be great? It oh. might have actually been her who said that. I, I know I spoke to her recently, and she said that she sort of checked in. And, mm. um, you have to tell me, though, when she texts, does Olivia Colman use emojis? There were no emojis in our text in our text chat. It was mainly me, lots of exclamation marks from yeah. my end yeah. and forceful words. That's amazing. Um, so we're not here to talk about The Crown. We're actually here to talk about this amazing movie. I love it so much. Women talking. Were you familiar at all with the book or the story when no, this found its way to you? which makes me feel like an ignoramus. Um, I know I wasn't. I remember the first thing I heard of it was an email from my agent with a link to the New York Times article about the real life um, Mennonite community in Bolivia where the um, attacks happened and uh, that was the first I'd known of it and then I read the book and then I read the script and then I talked to Sarah so it was quite a uh, a journey that I went on It may sound like a strange question um, or maybe just a rude there question There are no strange questions <laughs> But there or are rude, rude questions okay. <laughs> That's different uh, Your character's one of my favorite. I mean they're all so great So like, great I love your character's rage So do I yeah, right. Yeah. Was it always, did you always talk about that character? Was that, was it understood when it was sent to you it was going to be for her? Or was there ever talk about a different role? No. Yeah. So I think originally, I think that Sarah, now having heard her speak about it, we didn't talk about the casting process when we were making it at all, or when I was in conversation about the film. Um, but now I realise what she was doing. She's such a thoughtful person anyway, but she basically was meeting people to try and make the families, the family units and and the family of actors that were going to be playing the parts because it was such a going to be such an intense job. I'm speaking for her here, but I presume she was basically trying to get a company of actors together. So I think she was meeting lots of people with the mind in the mind of what what part they might play. But she I was, I didn't go in for Ona, but I, when I was meeting her, that was the part originally, which just it seems so ludicrous Oh, no, now. I can absolutely see it. That's why no, I could see I any of these really parts. I really can't see it. And especially not seeing how Rooney, what Rooney does with it. I think I can't think of anyone else who could play her with that sort of sensitivity and curiosity but and somehow not in any way earnest. Like she just has an amazing ability to do that. Um, and I just, I was so intrigued by Sarah and the film that I would have played any part that she'd given me but but I said to her you know I I really Salome is I was like surely everybody who speaks to you says they're that Salome's their favorite she was like no I was like how she's the best one <laughs> um but that's just what I felt like from the beginning I just had such an affinity to her as a person and like her and yeah her rage but also her 
love of her family, her daughter, her son, um, and the community that she's from, and like her faith as well. So when you read the screenplay, having read the mm, book, mm. I mean, uh, I did it backwards. I saw the movie yeah. and I loved it so much I went and read the book. Really? And they're very different very in some ways. Yeah. Yes, which surprised me because the story is pretty straightforward. Um, yeah, I think I think that, that uh, it's interesting that because I it, the film is very true to the book. But narratively speaking, it's different in the con- the structure of it, I suppose. Yeah. In the, the biggest difference being that August, who is the man in the film, played by Ben Whishaw, is the narrator in the book. And then in the movie, Kate Hallett, who plays Elcher, is the, is the narrator. But I think that's what Sarah was able to navigate because she had such an amazing knowledge of the book. And Miriam was so involved as well, obviously, that she was able to understand what things needed to be changed for a film and what things needed to stay the same. But the the, the book is very filmic and, it, you know, the dialogue, you know, the dial- the conversations that the women are having is, you know, there's lots of lines that, you know, a couple of the speeches that I have are pretty much picked from the movie, uh, from the book in the movie. I mean, the book is written as minutes from the yeah, meeting, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so I was Loved it. so impressed by, I almost said translation, that's not the right word, <laughs> by that <laughs> yeah. adaptation. Yeah. Um, so at what point did she sort of say, like, I want you in this movie and I want you as Sloan? Um, gosh, I, I did a read-through, which was marketed as a, you know, no pressure. Frances McDormand's going to be there. Uh, Dee Dee Gardner's also going to be there, like virtually online. Um, and I was like, so this is basically an audition then, isn't it, really? And they were like, no, it's not. I was like, well, if it's terrible, then obviously I'm not going to get the part. So <laughs> it is. Um, but it was like, we did it at like 10 o'clock at night. Um, and Ben was also on the on the Zoom. So it was... Um, I mean, amazing to read. And it was like doing a play read through. Um, and then I heard nothing for eons of time. And I was like, oh, that, I mean, I didn't, it wasn't even though that's not happening. I was just like, oh, of course, I'm not going to hear about that because that obviously went really badly wrong. And then it was, yeah, then it was kind of a couple of months later. Um, my agents were like, you got it. I was like, but how? Because I've done nothing in the interim time. Apart from me and Sarah would email occasionally about Brene Brown. That was basically... Really? Just, that's what you bonded we'd over? We'd send each other like motivational <laughs> podcasts and things. Um, so that I thought that was it. But I just, I could not believe, you know, um, it felt like a very unique project from the beginning. But also I could not believe in the world that we live in, in the, in the way that the film industry is and everything like that, I could not believe she wouldn't trust me with that part. I just could not believe that of all the actresses in the world, I was going to get that part. I just I just could not believe, yeah, I couldn't believe it. And at what point did you realize, you know, you'd be playing opposite Rooney Mara and Jesse Buckley and, and Frances McDormand, as you mentioned? <laughs> yeah, I mean, pretty soon on, I think Jesse came relatively, not late, but later um, and one of my, you know, two of the people that I have like wanted to work with were Jesse and Ben. So um, it, I, I was like, this is great. I've got both of them. And I never thought I would. So it was a real privilege and um, just, just such a joy. You got both of day. them and now you have to be angry at them the whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> Although I still feel like Marie Kay and Salome have a... A, they're so similar um and I feel like 
what I love about the film is, and what I loved about when I was shooting it, which was a real shock to me, was that Marike's pain is the most painful thing for Salome. Yeah. Even though her sister has also been raped and is pregnant, um, and every, you know, her daughter has been raped, I feel like Marike's, when she sees Marike suffer, that's really very raw for mm-hmm. her. Um, and Salome wouldn't hate, doesn't hate anyone. She would. She loves every. She can. She can complicatedly love a lot of people, which is one of the things that I love most about her. Even when chasing them with a scythe. No, not the men. <laughs> no, not the no, 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 no. Right, everyone those in guys. the barn. Okay. All the women, I think. I yeah. think, and I think she, children. I think she has a real. This is what I felt like about her anyway, and what was sort of I got from the book was that she just has a huge capacity to, yes, have a very bold, big personality and big opinions, and sort of fly in the face of the, what the elders wanted her to do sometimes. But for some reason, you know, there's this whole thing in the book about her maybe being excommunicated excommunicated at several occasions and for some reason she never is yeah and that what i sort of took from that was that the reason she's not is because she also gives a lot to the community she's not an outlier she's not someone who's kind of living on the fringes that she is the community and so she's got a massive heart and she welcomes everybody she would do anything for anybody you know um but yeah no the men she's got no time for them (laughs) which i'm I yeah I understand why. Yeah, I was. I think they even really just show it in like you know sort of short passing segments. Like you know she walks all day to get her daughter to a doctor. Mm. You know, and it's it says so much about her and just kind of like I don't want to say it's a throwaway sentence because nothing in this movie is by accident or intended as a throwaway. Mm. But it, it that that was such an insight for me into her. Yeah, I mean going to the doctor. Is an illegal action, basically. Oh, you would I didn't not know have that. Le- you not would not have been allowed in the community to be to receive medical attention. They would have like somebody in the community who was like the the doctor who had no doc- no medical training, obviously, but that who was sort of like the medicine man, I suppose, of the community. Um, but in order, you had to get special dispensation to go out of the community or to go and get you know Western medicine. But she's just like. Mm, off I go. I'm going to walk and I'm not going to ask permission. I'm curious because a lot of times when you're you're putting yourself through this trauma as an actor, you know, scene after scene, your body doesn't know the difference always. You know, you, it's, you know, it's obviously not the same as like being hit by a car, but, no. you know, you do, <laughs> you do carry that and feel that, especially the really good actors. Um, was mm-hmm. it a hard shoot? Like at the end of the day, would you, you know, did you have a way to kind of shake it off or did you not want to? Did you want to, you know, keep her with you? I definitely walked around Toronto a bit more aggy than I normally would do. I definitely had a feeling of like the futility of, I don't know, there was something quite um, depressing about the reality of what human beings can do to each other, which I think Salome carries with her, which is not the forefront of her mind um, because obviously she's got bigger fish to fry, but that I think was sort of pervaded the whole f- experience of making the film for me. But the film, that is a testament to Sarah, the film is so hopeful yeah. and beautiful, but that wasn't necessarily what I felt. Um, I felt like Salome had a very large hill to climb in getting back to a point where she could see the way that her sister does, Ona sees it which is as beautiful and people are beautiful and aren't butterflies lovely. Um, I think she's like, oh God. I don't know if I could ever get to that point. (laughs) No. 
Um, but saying that, what I do love, one of the, the most crucial things for me about my job is that I get to express myself in a way that I don't in everyday life all the time. Um, and so there was something incredibly cathartic about feeling quite so much quite so often that was um I didn't take for granted I would be exhausted at the end of the day but luckily my daughter was with me in Toronto and I always felt very grateful to be coming back to her and you also didn't have a lot of time to think then and also there is an instinct there which I think is true of the film which is that what I was doing was not Yes, it was incredibly important and the significance of the film that I have made now is incredible like to me. But also I have a child and I have another responsibility and um, I also have a responsibility to myself to make sure that I take care of myself, which was really interesting. Sorry, I'm blabbering now, but working with the two girls, with Kate and Liv, you know, Sarah had a therapist on set Um not necessarily every day, but when we were doing the really heavy things, she was on set and then we always knew she was there. Um, and I was worried about the two young actresses because I was tried to say to them without terrifying them, please protect yourself against the material. Like, please make sure that you know what's required of you when and what's not required of you. You don't have to put yourself through that. Please take care of your mental health. Like, please make sure that you you put a barrier up. You have to put a barrier up sometimes as much as you don't want to you just you you know nobody wants you to have a breakdown um but Sarah had already thought of that because there was a I mean it didn't stop me trying to ter terrify them <laughs> but um she'd already got the therapist there and um we were all sort of you know the actresses he'd been working a while were just saying god that wouldn't that have been great for that film that I shot where I had to do that and no one really seemed to care much about whether I was okay or was sane after experiencing that traumatic event in a movie um so yes, I did and I didn't take it with me, basically, is <laughs> the short answer to that question. <laughs> you used the word eggy. You yeah. Were trying a little, um, uh, is that like short for aggravated or? Aggressive. Okay. Sorry. No, 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 no. Aggie, no. yeah. <laughs> um, I, Sorry. <laughs> I know aggro from Australia, yeah. but I've never heard aggy. Aggie. Aggie. It means aggressive. Yeah, like. Everyone like, in here knew that word. Like chippy, answer. like a bit like. Oh, you know. Wait, Chippy doesn't clarify anything. <laughs> okay, Chippy doesn't. Sorry, I'm really using some British slang. Here. I thought I knew the British um, slang too. I, I... But no, just yeah, a bit aggro, okay. basically, like a, just a bit on edge and a bit um, not ready for a fight, but presuming that mm -hmm. a fight would be what I got from the world. I'm which is use not that a great now. energy to be walking around Toronto. <laughs> no, but I relate to that now. I'm glad I've learned this word. <laughs> yeah, use it all the time. <laughs> right? There's a lot of aggy people out there. <laughs> Um, you said something that I wanted to be sure I brought up because, well, the good news is when I when I talk to people about this movie, everyone I know wants to see it and they're excited about it. I <gasps> was afraid great. it would be a harder sell, but it really doesn't seem to be. Like Hooray. people are really interested. But I do want people to know that like it's not <sighs> – the subject matter is tough. Mm. It's not a depressing movie. No. I found it incredibly hopeful. I found yeah. it beautiful, mm. you know, the bond between these women and, and their story. And, you know, without getting into spoilers, I just think it's hopeful. Yeah. Is the right word. Um, have you found that, you know, uh, I, get, I don't know if you worry too much. If you make the movie and you've done your part or if you worry about, like, you know, how people will perceive it, do you, do you feel like you have to let people know, like, no, 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 this is not going to be a tough time. This is actually going to be a really valuable experience to yeah, see this movie. Yeah, I think that you – I think you don't want people to 
see a film because they think it's worthy. Mm. I, that's not going to get people running to the cinema, is it? Um, I That's not the reason why the film is hopeful and sometimes very, very funny. Um, I think people will see this film who need to see this film. I don't, I'd never worry about how people receive it because that's completely out of my hands. And, you know, I've done things where I've thought they would be amazing and people have gone, don't get it, or vice versa. So that's just, you know, can't be doing wasting my time with that. But I do feel this film more than anything I've ever, ever done. I feel like the people who don't want to see it should see it. I think that it's a film that has the ability to challenge people's perception and also talk truthfully, like especially in the past, you know, six years or however long it's been, you know, we are talking a lot more about sexual abuse and violence towards women uh, and not just towards women, but um, all sorts of different um people in society and I think this film is very helpful for people to educate people on the impact of that on the human being and the memory of it and how memory works and maybe see something from a personal point of view that has I just I don't think I've ever seen a story like this before um, and I hope that lots of young people see it I think the impact that it has on people in screenings is remarkable i've like a film film can change the way people talk about things we don't just have to reflect something and provide something it can be entertainment but you can also start something quite spectacular and we've had like it's remark like honestly remarkable and i think that people who feel like those the women who are in the hayloft don't exist or the people feel the women who don't in in the hayloft don't need representing or there's not a story to be told there the amount of women i've met from the hayloft outside the hayloft mm -hmm. is extraordinary mm -hmm. so i am so there's sort of trepidation about it coming out um because i think it could be quite significant for lots of people basically which is a lot to receive when you're in it but amazing that it can do that I'm also glad you mentioned it's funny because I did laugh out loud a oh, couple it's times. Oh, so funny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was funny making it. We laughed all the time. You know, yes, it, it, it's so difficult that, isn't it? Because you that's also something which diminishes survivors of sexual abuse, that life can't be uh, hilarious mm -hmm. at, at certain points. Like to, that dehumanizes somebody. Because women have such hope and such humor and such compassion for each other and love um, in the face of what they've experienced. That doesn't make them less human. It makes them more human, if anything. Um, and so the film had to reflect that. And we just laughed all day, every day. Some, obviously, not all day, every day. And there were some very, very, very dark and serious moments. But, you know, we just reveled and enjoyed, in you know, in watching each other perform and, and, and loving each other's company. Well, I did anyway. I mean, they could all be out there somewhere <laughs> going, God, it was like pulling teeth of her. It's terrible. <laughs> but yeah, just it was wonderful. No, I was surprised by how much I laughed. But that's that's how life is. Like even yeah. in the darkest times, the most absurd things will happen and you yeah. just have to laugh or yeah. you'll go crazy. And also Jessie Buckley just provides, just her facial expressions provide oh. Hours of fun, everyone. Um, yeah, Marike is the like the darkest yes. character, and yet Jesse, I you know, 
uh, first time we watched the film with anybody there, we all watched it separately. And then when Telluride, we all watched it together. And there's this bit where Jessie rolls her eyes and it was like, Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> like in, the, in the cinema it was like everybody was howling she was like oh my god <laughs> it was so good I know exactly the moment you're talking yeah. about it's so funny um, speaking of this because you are mainly associated with very dramatic roles but I'm mm-hmm. dying to get you in a rom-com or some sort of like but you were so good on Saturday Night Live oh, I um, mean I would love it but I just don't know whether I'm very good at it I just I, I'm not very good at whimsy I'm not good at sort of like being a kook that's what people say isn't it kooky like being i don't know i just i i, I just immediately be sad i can't. <laughs> can't what about like you know the the movies from the 40s with Catherine hepburn like the oh front page God. like you know I mean, the eloquent smart funny that's woman. what i was raised on if i could mm. if i could basically be a sort of sassy comedic slightly um you know androgynous uh actor that that's what I do but I just I just I mean it would have to be the right thing and also I just I can't see it it would have to be I just can't see it. I just think I'm just gonna be sad in my career <laughs> it's gonna be blue the whole time I think we should do it it should be you and Ben Wisher oh me and Ben yes the unlikely couple yes <laughs> the other person you wouldn't expect to see in a wacky comedy although at least he's yeah, Paddington yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's got good bones, that man. I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I miss the rom-com. I, I miss it. Although I saw Trip to, is it Trip to Paradise? Ticket to Paradise. Ticket to Paradise, yeah. that's it, which I thought resurrected it for me. I was so like, thank fun. the Lord. Um, but yeah, I just, I'm, I, to be Julia Roberts, just to have that, fo- I mean, just to have that force, like that life force and make people feel happy would be great. But no, I have no thing I'm here for that. And that's Claire Foy, star of MGM and United Artists Releasing's Women Talking, which opens in theaters on December 23rd. And that's it for this edition of the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. Drew Griffith edited this episode and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, Head on over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest awards predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Jazz Tanke, Janelle Riley, and Michael Schneider, I'm Clayton Davis. We'll see you on the circuit. Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are, leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.